Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 19 of the Ball 5 Podcast, the baseball podcast that still can't find out why people are doing these things to these damn Koroks. Uh, this is the second cold open that we have now done on The Legend of Zelda, and it deserves it because I can't stop playing it. I finally, like, really sat down and played it for a weekend, and I can't get away from it, and I just don't understand what is compelling people to do what they're doing to these Koroks. I've seen Koroks roasted over a Spitfire. Now, to the to the non-initiated. Um, <laughs> I didn't even think about that without context. That's awesome. <laughs> to, to the uninitiated. Uh, in The Legend of Zelda, there are these group of kind of tree people called the Koroks. Um, I don't know how recent of an addition of the, if they were. I don't know if they were recently changed. I knew that there used to be a group of tree people called the Dekus. Um, I don't know if they're supposed to be a descendant of them, but regardless, they're they're like cute little tree people. But people in The Legend of Zelda, the new one, the Tears of the Kingdom, have been doing inhumane things to these Koroks. They are roasting them over spitfires. They are crucifying them. I I've seen just like like the the torture machines that they're coming up with. Like, I- I'm sure that there are people in, like, the CIA and, like, Guantanamo Bay watching these Twitch streams and taking notes. I, j- I-, I don't understand what the hell's going on and why they keep doing this to these poor little Koroks. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if you want to know what the Koroks are. <laughs> Is that a bet? <laughs> so the Koroks started in uh, Wind Waker. Um, and I think I remember that, yeah. They are spirits who are watched over by the Great Deku Tree. But in the Wind Waker, the Koroks are transformed forms of the Kakiri um, tribe following the Great Flood, which the Kakiri tribe is the children of the forest that are in Ocarina of Time. So <laughs> these are the Koroks are the transformed forms of little children after a flood. Now I did see that there were some people saying that they deserved it for what those little those little kids in, in Kakariko Forest uh did in did to Link during the beginning of Ocarina of Time. Um I still don't think so. So my working theory as to why people are so fed up with these Koroks is that in the Breath of the Wild, when you like, you know, did a little puzzle with the Koroks, you either um you know, there's like this little flower that you walk up to and it disappears and appears somewhere else. You go up there and pick it, disappears, appears somewhere else. After you chase it for a certain amount of time, Korok shows up, gives you a seed. There's just little tiny puzzles like that all over the place. Now, there are 900 of them in Breath of the Wild, which is absurd. No person, no like person, unless you are actively trying to complete the game, should ever do that. And you don't get a good reward for completing it. I believe you get a gift that legit looks like a piece of shit. Um... So that's my working theory for why people hate on these Koroks. But then again, as I mentioned, there's nobody in their right mind. I I highly doubt that all of the people doing this shit to Koroks are people that grinded for all 900 Korok seeds and were given that gift. So they have this feeling to, to, to attack them. But I don't know. I just, I don't get it. I don't understand why it keeps happening. I would like for it to stop. I, I encountered my first Korok. Just somebody that needed to find their friend that was an island over, and I helped them. And maybe that's just the kind of guy I am. But still, I just don't understand. <laughs> Good for you, DJ. Some um, of these people need to be put on a watch list, is all I'm saying. 
I wonder, there has to be some video game that's linked to a watch list, huh? I don't know. There's probably a, a whole ton of them. Regardless, this could be a Legend of Zelda lore podcast at this point. Um, I'm sure this will not be the last time yeah, that I regale I, you of my tales in the game so far. I have gone down a rabbit hole and I just decided to uh, bookmark that tab because the uh, the rabbit hole is crazy. <laughs> Whatever. What are we talking about? Baseball? Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, so this episode will be back to kind of our standard triple play and then remember some guys. Um, I will admit right now that it's not going to be a, um, what's it called? A just straight up met section later on in the podcast because they're related to what I'm talking about in my triple play. Um, yep. so let's just be get related right into to what it. I talk about too. So we can just gush about them for a little bit. I sh- I would say that gush is a strong word considering what we have saw in the last two weeks just to be impressed by a five-game win streak. But I am also easily swayed like that. Um, Yeah, I'll just get right into it. My good is that for the first time this year, we saw two pitchers in the same game go for eight innings. Uh, Shane Bieber and Justin Verlander on Sunday Night Baseball. It was a great game. I didn't get to watch too much of it because I was too busy watching uh, my Celtics get their shit pushed in by the Miami Heat. Um, don't want to talk about that. Would much rather talk about the Mets right now. Um, but yeah, it was, from what I got to see, a great game. Shane Bieber looked great. Made a couple mistakes, obviously, giving up the giving up the home run to uh, Francisco Lindor, missing that spot with the curveball a little bit. And then, you know, later on in the eighth, that sacrifice fly to Jeff McNeil. But overall, great game. Sucks when you get to, you know, stay out there for all eight innings and get settled with the loss. And then Justin Verlander did very very well um i would say that this is maybe his first like genuine moment start he had a really good start in cincinnati that i think was his first like genuine great outing for the mets but i don't know it was cincinnati the mets were reeling still but it's not like a big thing this was sunday night baseball against francisco lindor's old team wearing the black jerseys and he came out and shoved eight great outings so that was a really great sight to see um, Brooks really came out for the second time of the day and um, closed down the ninth. I would have maybe liked to see them go to Verlander for the ninth. He was sitting at 98 pitches, which I understand considering you missed a month, you want to kind of, you know, not go all the way there. But also you were so close, so why not go through with it? But uh, yeah, I mean, th- this team has been incredibly exciting over the past week, which is not something you could say even when they were doing well about the first couple month and a half of the season. Yep, and I think, you know, you you uh, kind of said it, too. It's just, like, it's not just the fact that we have uh, won these games. It's the fact that we've won so interestingly, you know? And that's actually, like, the good and the annoying thing, and this is just the Mets thing. So I guess, like, my good side, and I'll just talk about it, is the fact that We've had several <laughs> walk-off wins in this uh, in this five-game win streak, and come from behind wins and just insanity um, stuff. Where uh, I think two of them, I think both of the walk-offs have been um, three-run ten inning or tenth innings, right? So like just absolute insanity, um, giving up leads late. And then um, coming back and just the tenacity and the fight um, f- 
you know, kind of spearheaded by, as Francisco Lindor is calling it, these baby Mets, you know, um, just seeing Beatty, uh, seeing Vientos come up and just hit immediately, um, seeing Francisco Alvarez really turning a, a turning a corner um, and just becoming a pretty good major league catcher um, already so far into his career. Um, it's just been really exciting, really entertaining. Um, never mind the fact that we were so bad for so long in this season. And then, like you said, you know, it's just a five game win streak, but it's the excitement. It's the, um, ability to take two of three from the Rays and not think about the fact that you dropped, uh, or you split with the nationals in a four game set and lost the set to the Reds, Rockies, Tigers, Braves before that. I don't want to talk about it, but, um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's really cool. It's been an awesome five game win streak. Pete's heating up. Um, Alvarez is hitting homers. Vientos is hitting homers and it's just awesome. Beatty's hitting homers too, but it's just awesome to see. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of the, the big thing. One thing that I wanted to touch upon is just how important, and I mentioned this to you, even competent pitching is for this team because they've only gotten 10 quality starts all season. Now, that might be saying something that a team with World Series aspirations through the first, oh God, quick math, 48 games of the season has 10 quality starts. Uh, but regardless, we'll, we'll move past that. They only have 10 quality starts. They're 10-0 in those games. Um, I, if you don't count the games that David Peterson has started, they're also pretty good. <laughs> um, the so, David I mean, Peterson stat was insane. <laughs> it's a little staggering. I have a hard time believing that his ERA plus is only 52 um, because by God, has he just been God awful um, (laughs) when he was up with the team, but you know, everybody else has been solid. Uh, Tyler McGill has been overall fine so far this season. You don't need too much more for him. Kodai Senga, I would say has been good um, this year, not quite hitting a next level, but I'm sure that that will come later on in the season. Uh, Max Scherzer looked very, very rough to start off the season. I'm not going to lie, but in his past couple starts has started to kind of get back together. I even kind of saw it in his two starts before he got ejected, um, that he was looking, he was starting to look like he turned a corner and then he missed 15 days because of injuries and the suspension. So then he kind of looked out of whack, but now that he has had kind of two straight starts to really get his system under him, he's looked a lot better. Verlanders looked pretty solid to start off, um, the bullpen, I would honestly say, has been not terrible. Adam Adovino hasn't been great, but um, you know Drew Smith looks solid. Even Brooks Raley has kind of picked it up after a really rough start. And then David Robertson has been everything you could ask for. Um, it, I mean, I, I think overall, they're just finally starting to play to the caliber that we think they can. Now, I will say that there's a little bit of concern that in these five wins, only I mean, not all of them have been just by one run. Uh, you'd like to see a little bit more distance being put in these wins, but I, I think regardless, you can't quite complain after the way the last couple weeks have gone just because you're finally getting wins. You're, you're back above 500. Uh, you know, you're, you're right back into the wild card race. And I guess that that's the important thing about it being really early in the season is that even through all that struggle, you know, you've yet to hit your stride and you're even still just in the race. So I, I think that it's a good thing. I think that the thing that finally made them turn the corner was when their 
millions upon millions of dollars scoreboard broke and then it just flashed the Rays logo for like five minutes everybody booed and then jose siri hit a home run to make it seven to one i think that that might have been finally like rock bottom for the team because they've won every single game since yep that i mean that has to be (laughs) that has to be it and even that game they kind of i don't want to say came back but they did put together you know a few runs scored five and then got there you know i think um i think like yeah the 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 frustrating piece has been the i to me it has been the bullpen in this piece you know i and i think particularly i think adovino had a really rough uh cleveland series um you know and and i think even the back end of the race series was not so great for him so hoping you know he can kind of uh check out of that where we're going to his old stomping grounds um in colorado which should be actually pretty fun um towards the end of the week this week so um so that should be interesting maybe maybe a pitcher can go to colorado and regain something that's a joke um but it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting i it's really just a fight from this team right now you know um the the ability to look at the score and it's just something that we weren't seeing for the longest time and then the ability to uh, look at the score now and then say, yep, we're not losing, even if you're down three in the last inning or something like that, you know, um, the ability to come back has been awesome. So, yeah, so I think um, enough with the good time to get into a little bit of bad here. Uh, Chris, I, I, my overall bad is just that at this very current moment, as we're recording May 22nd, uh, 2023. Your World Series prediction somehow looks way better than mine. Hell yeah! <laughs> because even though the Mets are still, by all accounts, kind of just okay right now, and the Angels are the Angels, they've been fine so far. They've been hovering around 500 as well. Uh, the Padres have just been ass lately. Uh, they've just been not good. And the big part about it is that it's the offense. Um. The pitching has been fine. You know, I think that they're actually getting a pretty, you know, pretty solid turn out of a lot of their bullpen. The underlying numbers don't look very great. Uh, I see a lot of FIPS that are way higher than ERAs for this Padres bullpen. But overall, as far as the results you're getting, pretty solid. Bullpen, I mean, the starting pitching hasn't been terrible. Uh, Joe Musgrove has been terrible. But overall, it's not like the worst thing in the world. It's It's a rotation that if you told me they were like, Around 500, slightly over 500, I'd believe you. Uh, but the the offense has just been terrible. I mean, as out of all 30 teams, they are dead last in average um, at 222. They are, I believe I saw that the Oakland A's have scored more runs than them this season. The, oh, you know, they're just, yeah. they're just not scoring. And there are some culprit, main culprits to it. Uh, Manny Machado, who's been hurt lately has been off to a really, really bad start. 654 OPS, uh, two, batting 231. Xander Bogarts, after a really, really hot start to the season, has significantly cooled down, now just hitting 257. Austin Nola's been god-awful, uh, 36 OPS plus. That OPS is starting with a 4. I would say anything under, like, 600 is really bad, and his starts with a 4 um, at 471. And then, I mean, e- even smaller things. Their war leader, Hassan Kim, has a 687 OPS. Mainly just because he's a really, really good fielder. Kind of propping that up. 
now you are getting some really good performances. Fernando Tatis Jr. hasn't quite been Fernando Tatis Jr., but he's been solid to start off the season uh, since returning from that suspension. And then Juan Soto got off to a really rough start, but has since been really tearing it up. Uh, you know, that, that OPS is back up over 870. Um, but like I said, just otherwise, there are not a lot of bright spots in this offense. Um, and it, it, you know, obviously you can't win if you can't score. And they have not been doing a lot of winning lately. Um, so, you know, obviously it's one of those things where I think that they can break out of it as the weather gets a little bit better. I mean, it's San Diego, so I guess the weather's always good. But still, um, it, you know, as they kind of get back into it and start getting over, I guess, some of these early struggles, I can see them turning a corner, but right now it's just been bad. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing is, is that this is this is like the year that it was supposed to be the thing, you know, um, this was going to be like, hey, you know, we finally got uh, Machado to tease Soto and we added Bogarts into this mix. We have Cronenworth, you know, like where we're golden you know and this was gonna be that piece and now you know you you kind of are are really scratching at the bit there you know and you're really trying to see um see what's going on and like you said i mean they they've had some decent starts you know come through i mean uh darvish hasn't been terrible lugo has been good in his um in his uh return to the uh starting pitching there um but yeah you you're not getting what you needed out of these out of these hitters. And like you said, you know, it's probably a big thing with Machado. It actually looks like Soto and Tatis are playing pretty decently. Um, but Soto was down for so long that I think there was even people saying like, oh, shoot, you know, is Soto even good anymore, which is a ridiculous thing to say, you know. Um, but I think the issue is, is that, it, this is the hard part about not winning your division you know um you had the dodgers that were uh that were looking like they were really struggling for a little bit and now the dodgers are seemingly running away with the west again you know um diamondbacks are a good team this year and now you're just really 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 putting yourself in a bad hole to be in so yeah, it, it is one of those things where, and I've, I've heard some people talk about this, and it, it is true. It's just like, you can talk about how it's early in the season as much as you want, and it is. They could very easily turn this back around, get back into the wild card race, and they they just snuck in with a wild card berth last year and made it to the NLCS. It, it's it's so easily doable. However, the, the big thing about it is that this team with a team like Genuine World Series Aspirations is probably not looking for the wild card. They're trying to win the division. And when you have the Dodgers, a team that, at worst, is going to be, like we said, 20 games into the season, like a game under 500, but they're not they're not going to have depths this low. Um, you know, you're basically banking on a Dodgers collapse, which has never happened in, in years and years. So the, the only time that people have been able to really beat them for the division was when the Giants were transcendently good from game one to game 162, and they only beat them by a game in that in that uh that 2021 division race so it's something where it's obviously not out of the question to get back to first place in the nl west or even get back into the wild card but you have certainly dug yourself a major hold regardless of how early in the season it is and like i said it's one of those things where i never know how to feel about these slow starts because 
it, you know, it, it is just you have to go off track record at this point. I, I have a hard time seeing Manny Machado be this bad for the rest of the season unless this injury that he suffered is like a significant thing. I I have trouble seeing, you know, I guess Jake Cronenworth be that bad. I'm sure that Xander Bogarts will pick it back up. There are some hitters that I don't have a lot of faith in <laughs> turning it back around. I, I don't think we're going to see like a, a Rugnado door renaissance uh, as as one of their bench bats. You know, Austin like Nola 10 t- years ago, <laughs> yeah, even 10 years ago, I wouldn't have seen it. Um, Austin Nola maybe is back to like close to league average, but I highly doubt it. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I don't know. I, I think that they'll be fine. Whew, it is a tough watch with them right now. Um, Chris, do you have... We're on to surprise. Uh, Chris, what is your surprise? Oh, I, didn't, I didn't talk about... Well, I guess, you know, I'll oh. I'll lump in my bad end surprise. Wait, oh yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I got confused. I forgot where we were at. I forgot that I let off the bad. Uh, I'll start, go with your bad. You're okay, you're okay. Um, yeah, so I wanted to talk a little bit about another team that is um, underperforming uh, quite heavily lately, and the other team that I had watched a little bit about this weekend is the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. So um, Toronto Blue Jays now looking uh, up from the bottom of the um, AL East, again, still above 500, <laughs> so um, this AL East division is crazy. Um, but it's still, uh, alarming. So they're nine and a half back from the Rays, um, just off of a sweep from the Orioles, uh, handed over by the Orioles. And, um, even then, you know, they lost the series to the Yankees three, um, three and one there. Um, they did sweep the Braves, but lost a short series to the Phillies before that too. So, um, you know, the, the problem about the Orioles series was they just didn't have, like any timely hitting, you know, um, they took, they took a, a few games, I think into the extra innings, um, and just couldn't like, couldn't piece things together, you know? Um, and it's something that is, I think a little concerning because as we're saying, you know, yes, it's early in the season, as we keep saying about early in the season, I do keep remembering, you know, just the Braves from last year, I'm pretty sure where they were just dog water for the first month or so. And I mean the then, the last three or four years or so the the NL representative in the World Series has been like well under five not well under the Braves were fifteen and seventeen but like still a not looking great about yeah. thirty to forty games into the season yeah and it's really funny because all the things that I'm saying <laughs> this is the life of a Mets fan all the things that I'm saying as a detriment to the Padres and the Blue Jays and stuff are things that I'm saying. Well, hey, you know, they could turn around for the Mets, you know. Um, so th- this is all to say, like, yeah, this totally could happen. But I don't know. I just think the Blue Jays are struggling to see um, that big hit. Now, I think, um, you know, uh, Guerrero's been hurt. So Vladdy's been hurt a little bit. Um, so maybe, you know, when he's uh, feeling much better, that he's going to kind of um, come back and really anchor the lineup. But um they've been struggling and it's hard when you're struggling in a division that's as competitive as it is um you're just not going to get many chances to get back so yeah i mean right now they're one and six in their last seven games uh i think one of the biggest things too is that as far as some of the starting pitching goes 
Uh, Kevin Gaussman has been very, very good all season. Chris Bassett has recovered from a, a pretty bad stretch to start off the season. Um, Alec Manoa and Jose Barrios just haven't been great this year, like at all. Uh, Manoa looked pretty good in the start against uh, Baltimore. I caught a little bit of that um, in his start. I believe it was on Saturday. Um, he, he did look pretty good in his start there, but just on the whole, he has not been good this year. Uh, ERA hovering around 5.15. And then just elsewhere in in the bullpen, there are some bright spots, but overall it's not the greatest group in the world. And that's what you mentioned with the timely hitting as well, is that if you can't get timely hits, then you're relying on your pitching to keep you in the games, especially in these, these, you know, uh, extra innings games is that when you're not being able to to drive in that runner from second and then some, you're forcing your bullpen for a couple innings to not have a blow-up inning when they're already being gifted a runner on second to start off the inning. And that's what happened in the the last game on Sunday against the Orioles. You know, they, they had the 10th the inning where they only allowed the one, and then they got it right back, got to go into the 11th, and then Baltimore just teed off for five runs against, I believe it was Yimi Garcia at that point they had put in. But, uh, yeah, Yimi Garcia gave up all five, and then Anthony Bass came in to clean it up. So I I would say that it is one of those things where, especially when the pitching unit isn't as good, the offense has to be even better and even timelier. And it is, it's not like they are super-duper underperforming. They have a lot of great bats that have really shown up so far this season. You know, we just talked about Bo Bichette and Matt Chapman in our um, you know, our all MLB teams, uh, Chapman has been slow of late, but you know, even still they're getting like good performances out of Kevin Kiermeyer, who's been pretty good to start the season. Uh, Brandon belt was terrible at the start of the year, but has really picked it up. So, I mean, it, it is one of those things where, yeah, on, on the whole, like you look at their baseball reference page and you know, they're, they're getting performances from a lot of the guys, but right now they just haven't timed up everything. And then, you know, like I was just saying earlier, when you can't time up the hitting, then you're putting more of a strain on your pitching. And for a group that isn't great, it, it causes a little bit more, uh, you know, rough stuff. That said, they are 23 and 25 and 22. The Mets are 25 and 23. And we just finished a segment where we were talking very, very glowingly about them. Yeah, uh, so. I, that's exactly what I meant. Like, it's just it's just <laughs> insane. But, you know, uh, this is where the Mets and the division that they are in and the in the league that they're in is going to help them. You know, at, at the very least, the Blue Jays would need to finish third in this division that they're in right now um, in order to be seen as the second wild card for this year. So it's just going to be interesting, you know. Complete side note, but looking at it, their farm director is named Charlie Wilson. And I keep thinking about the singer Charlie Wilson. Um, also being like, this Ricky Tiedemann guy is really, really good. I think we should look into calling him up soon. <laughs> um, all right. So you said that you wanted to loop your surprise into your bad. So were they connected? And would you like um, to lead it off? They actually are now. So initially <laughs> it was different. Um, and then I was looking around and you actually brought something up, um, to the Toronto Blue Jays piece that I, I wanted to bring up as my surprising, um, you know, initially I was going to talk about something completely different, but maybe we'll table that for another day. Um, 
your surprise is even surprising you. Oh yes, it's it's folding up. This is what happens. This is what you tune in. You know. Um, I want to talk about um that Alec Manoa start that you did mention briefly. Um, that he was pitching pretty decently. Um, and then he had to get removed from the uh from the start because of a second mound oh, visit. Oh yeah, in that start. I, I remember this. <laughs> um, I'm trying to look it up. This is very hard to look up, but I'm trying to look up how many times this has happened in the history of baseball. I can't imagine very often. Um, it reminds me of the of the classic Mets batting out of order in the past few years and everything like that. Um, I'm surprised the Mets haven't done this anytime soon. Um, but yeah, it was just just a completely awkward situation. So basically, what happened um, was that now, th- and this is the other surprising piece is that. The uh, Blue Jays have not just been losing the past few weeks, but they've also been complaining about the other team the whole freaking time. Um, so I don't know how much of this is just overblown from from a uh, from from a uh, players and stuff like that. And oh, yeah. my outlets. my my tying into your bad there, uh, my bad also could have been what's it called? Aaron Judge's glance gate, <laughs> where a, a, a real quick tangent on that. I'm sorry. I I know that like sign stealing is is a big thing that we want to accuse everybody of now, but like you're just seeing the slowed down footage of Aaron Judge looking over. You don't realize how in real time how quick he is he is looking over at, at the dugout. And it's one of those things where if the dugout did get the signs, have better signs then. Yeah, and then and also, somebody how are else you, like relaying that that fast. Yeah, and somebody also mentioned it. I forget which one of the podcasts I, I mentioned. I think it was Michael Bauman on on uh, batting around mentioned. Um, they're using pitchcom, so there's no like real sign stealing. And yeah. if there was sign stealing, it would be something like in spring training when you say Kikuchi revealed or or somebody revealed that the the batters could hear through the catcher's pitchcom the whole time, like. I don't know. What, whatever. Go go on with your piece. But it's no, just no. an incredibly stupid thing. And we, I, I, I hate the one thing that I hate the Astros for is that they have now led us to to having these stupid cheating discourses in perpetuity, probably for until the end of time. Yeah, no, it's incredibly frustrating. Um, but I think like like the one of the one of the big pieces of this one was that um I I guess uh the um Toronto team Toronto team the Toronto baseball team. Um, Toronto was complaining about the positioning of the Yankees base coaches during the game, um, led to some kind of, uh, shouting obscenities into the dugouts. Uh, the manager, John Schneider called, uh, someone in the Yankees dugout, shut up fat boy, um, which is interesting. Um, and apparently like they were kind of barking and stuff like that about the base coaches. Like I said, talking about the fat boy remark. Um, pitching coach went out to talk to Alec Manoa, so he was at I think eighty-five pitches um, in the sixth inning when the second mound visit came to happen. Um, and to be completely honest, I'm not entirely sure why John Schneider would come out um, for just a normal conversation. The manager doesn't normally come out for that. I know that's not a hard and fast rule, um, but the manager is not normally the one that comes out for that. Um, but he had forgotten that Pete um, Walker, the uh, pitching coach, had come out before earlier in that inning. 
Um, so it's just one of those things that it's just like a supreme fuck up. And it's literally the only fuck up is from the manager. You know, there's no one else on the team that could have made that mistake. Um, and it just kind of adds to these are this is like the comedy of errors. You know, like it just kind of adds that when you're struggling, you're going to find everything to struggle with. Um, this is something that us as Mets fans know uh, true and true and time and time again. Um, when you're struggling, you're going to make uh, you're going to make struggling. You're going to find new things to suck at. So. Uh, this is just another thing to add to, so it just kind of adds to it. It's hard. Yeah, I mean it, it is tough, and I want to uh, issue a correction. I was I my we were talking too much about the Blue Jays that I I was thinking you say Kikuchi for the pitch comp thing. It was uh, Kenta Maeda that had the issue where like for the first two innings everybody could hear <laughs> what was coming out of his pitch comp. Be careful, Blue um, Jay, you're gonna get us canceled for. <laughs> Chris, don't don't. Now that you bring it up, it's gonna sound like that. Um, <laughs> And it was not that. <laughs> I didn't correct you. So. <laughs> but um, yes, I I did I did remember that now. Uh, thinking about that, so it it is just one of those things that's just like a rookie mistake, and it is fair to be a rookie mistake because this is John Schneider's first full year as the yeah. manager of the Blue Jays. So it's something that I'm sure that he will figure out. But it is just one of those like you you can't have that happen things, especially yeah. when it is. Like you said, only on you. Um, it, my surprise so far is um, I'm surprised not only I, I'm not going to say like how bad the new city connects are uh, today as of recording the Baltimore Orioles have just really started. I, I, my surprise is how boring they are. After we saw the in the first couple of years, we had some very, you know, inventive looks that were completely switching up you know the preconceived notions that we have of these teams and in a, in an effort to connect to their city as they should i think to the red sox ones who whether you like it or not it was a big reach for a you know a, a team that has none of those colors in their in their color uh you know in their in their color system and it was a nod to obviously the the finish line of the boston marathon you think to san diego who that's a big reach uh, and whether or not you think it's ugly, I, my my basic thing with with City Connects is I almost don't care if they're ugly. I want you to try something new, and you know, a, in a way like it's like it suggests connect to your city. Uh, same thing as the Colorado Rockies. I don't think that there's a particularly good looking jersey. I like that they tried something new. Um, and like I said, this is all going back in reference to the release of the Baltimore Orioles ones today, um, which are just a boring ass Baltimore uh you know it looks clean it looks good if I saw somebody wearing the jersey I wouldn't say it's bad but like all of the flavor only all of the flavor is within the inside of the jersey in that you have to roll up the sleeve in order to show the colors that are under it you have to have your jersey unbuttoned to show off the colors that are under it you have to wear high socks and way high socks because the 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 coloring is way up at the top it's just boring uh, and I'm not going to say that I have better ideas for what the Orioles, you know, jersey should be. I'm not from Baltimore. I don't have any connection to the city, so I can't suggest anything. I was just going to say make a make an Old Bay jersey because um, that's the one thing I know about Baltimore. <laughs> Do with the wire theme jersey. I don't know uh, things about Baltimore. Oof. <laughs> make Edgar a, have a have a full portrait of Edgar Allan Poe on there. I don't care. Just do something that's not this. 
I just it, it's just one of those things where the the jerseys that we've seen so far this year are the Braves, a throwback jersey essentially, the Mariners, a throwback jersey but with black pants. Um you know, other other teams to debut this year. I mean, the the Reds tried something new uh, and I will say it looks good, but once again, it's a thing where it looks good, but it's just an all black jersey. That's not really, you know, trying anything new. I like the tops of the Rangers jersey. But it's just, you know, kind of just like a regular old cream jersey with black pants. I don't know. It's just something where, far be it for me to be a fashion guy. But I I just wish when people tried these, that they tried to reach a little bit more. Not only to connect to the city, but to just, you know, have an inventive jersey out there. Have yeah. something that's different from what you see every day at the ballpark. Yeah. And I think what the biggest thing that sucks is it's just like a, a disconnect. So... I the more the majority of baseball fans that I've seen and now granted my little section on Twitter um is probably not representative of major league baseball fans as a whole. Oh, excuse me. Um is probably not representative of of baseball fans as a whole. Um but it's been an overwhelming answer of what you're saying and it just harkens back to me um where i think like the the signaling is just messed up somewhere um so again you know think back a few years ago when we had players weekend and everyone had the um the little league style jerseys uh with the nicknames on the back um and how fun that was it was quick it was easy it was just color based um, and you had fun, fun stuff on the back of people's jerseys, you know, that really showcased personality of the players. And then, you know, I think it was even the next year, right? Or maybe even a year later, regardless, um, they the next time that they did the players weekend jerseys, they just had white and black ones with um, saying that. And then they're like, oh, yeah, well, it's the uh, the story behind it. And it's the um, the players are the ones that bring the color to the game with their you know flashy cleats and jewelry and stuff like that so i'm like that that's just crappy you know what i mean and then same thing here so if you look at the the um the tweet that the baltimore orioles posted to unveil the jersey like you said it's not a terrible jersey you know but it the literally the first blurb is the uniform from the outside it looks all black and white you can't see what you're not looking for. Threaded from the artistic tapestry of our city, the palette is like our uh, is like our people. Colorful, vibrant, and quirky. But what? So you're telling me that you just your your colorful, vibrant that's inside of the sleeves is like your people where they're tough on the outside but colorful and vibrant on the inside? Like what does that mean? You know? And and so it's just one of those things where I don't know. You, you know, it's just one of those things where there are so many other things. You listed four of them that would have been better than this. And again, the thing is, is I hate it. I, I don't hate this. Jersey. I don't I don't think The Wire or a Portrait of Edgar Allan Poe would have been better than this. But no. I think the Old Bay <laughs> one would have been at least more fun than this. Yeah, and I think I think he could have fun. I mean, they have like the world's ugliest flag. Like they could have just put the flag on there and then like, now, done that. <laughs> that one, that one, I will say that um, a, a couple people I know from Twitter that are from Maryland have said that they've tried that with the jerseys before, and also like the the one thing is that it is a city connect, not necessarily, and I guess that's kind of splitting right. hairs when you're going between city and state connect. But regardless, you know, it, it is one of those things where I I don't know. It, it's just 
you could just try so much more. And yeah. I believe that there's a couple more that are being unveiled this year. I think at least um, I know that Pittsburgh's is getting released this year. And if I, I saw just a couple things from, you know, leaks of what they might be, they don't look too, too promising. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the Pirates are, are the last ones remaining that haven't unveiled theirs yet. So I don't know. It, it's just something that it, it's surprising to me how they they saw the reaction good or bad but there was a reaction to the early releases and then you know all this talk and we haven't even gone over the marlins ones which is probably the best one yeah it, it tried something new something that's kind of out of their color palette something that is you know hearkening back to that city uh, of miami and it looks incredible i would never get any marlins gear but i've often considered getting you know a, a city connect jersey or jersey out of that um but yeah i don't know it, it makes me scared for the rest of the teams that haven't like what does a yankee city connect look like i don't know i think they're gonna be too afraid to do that they're gonna be too afraid to mess with that it's just gonna be it's just gonna be a variation of the pinstripes with the logo i bet you it's gonna be thicker pinstripes or something like that Instead of white with black pin, navy blue. Sorry, white with navy blue pinstripes. It's going to be navy blue with white pinstripes. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, I honestly think that that's what's going to be. They're going to be too afraid to touch the Yankees jerseys. You know, I don't blame them too. <laughs> I think they'd get freaking uh, Korok sacrificed over there. In <laughs> <laughs> a way to tie it back. Um, so uh, before we get into kind of our final thing, I remember some guys, I did want to mention something that I'm glad because this was going to be like a good, bad and surprise at the end that I wanted to toss in. But there was an update on it just before we started recording uh, that kind of shifted it back into the good uh, side of it. The Dodgers um, recently did announce for their Pride Night that they were going to be disinviting the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Um, to their event, and it got a lot of back cry, especially because the only reason they were pulling it was because they cited something about controversy with it, but from what I had seen, it was basically just that like senators like Marco Rubio have come out against this group, which, once again, Marco Rubio doesn't even do, uh, isn't even a senator for Los Angeles, so I'm not sure why his opinion had to matter much, um, but it caused a lot of backlash. Um, you know, a, a lot of people were obviously and rightfully so, upset about this, and LA Pride even backed out of the event. Right now, I would need to double-check. I'm not 100% sure that LA Pride has announced that they are coming back to the event. Now, with the um, the fact that they have kind of gone back on it, and the Dodgers have now re-invited the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, and they are, have accepted that invite. Um, and just for clarity, and this is something that I had to look up uh, during this whole situation, um, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence are a charity protest and street performance organization that uses drag and religious imagery to call attention to sexual intelligence and satirizes issues of gender and morality. Um, it, you know, from all I've seen, uh, they they seem like a pretty good and fun group that, um, you know, like we mentioned, is they kind of dress up as, as drag nuns and, and protest a lot. And it, it looks really cool. So I, I don't know. I, I'm probably not the person to to bring issue with this or have like a tried and fast opinion on whether the Dodgers should be forgiven for you know making this error and then packing up on it um but yeah it's just one of those things where I'm glad that they they changed it back to what it was but it 
kind of sucks that that's the reason that I had to go back to what it was. And especially for the organization that last year finally honored Glenn Burke, one of the first openly gay, well, came out after he uh, retired, but among baseball circles was known as openly gay. Um, they finally honored him last year, you know, years after his, his passing in the 90s. Um, it, just for them to do this the next Pride night, the, the year afterwards, kind of sucks. But once again, like I said, it has reverberated back into a good just by them, you know, recognizing that they made a mistake there and wanting to go back and, and really kind of fix this issue. Yeah, I mean, it's really just a good because we get to watch drag nuns watch baseball, uh, which is awesome. So, um, no, yeah, it's just, I mean, it, it it's obviously one of those where it's like it's shitty because it's uh, technically just a corporation that's, you know, mea culpaing their way through, um, through uh, Pride Month. But, you know... Yeah. They could very much. They could very much. You don't have. Yeah, yeah, very much. You don't have to hand it to them, but it is a good thing. Yeah, but they could have very much not not reinvited them. So that still takes something to to do it, you know, and then and then to go out there. So at least they'll be there, and hopefully, you know, there's not too much flack being thrown the Dodgers' way. So yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those things, and and you see it all across the world where. it's not something where, you know, you give the people that are protesting this an inch and they're just going to take that inch and be like, OK, that's fine. They're not at Pride Night. Uh, the people that were protesting and not wanting the Sisters of Professional Indulgence to be there, they probably don't care too much for the other groups that were going to be at Pride. Uh, they just wanted a specific group to lash out at. So it's one of those things where if you give them an inch, they're not just going to take an inch. They're going to try to go for the whole thing. And, you know, you kind of want to nip that right in the bud you don't want to even give them an inch because you know it it never stops at just that so like i said good on the dodgers sucks that it had to come down to that but regardless it's a fine thing um back to uh the normally you know scheduled things that we talk about um on to our final segment of the day uh remembering some guys now we didn't do this last time around but uh, Chris, do you want to lead us off again? Yeah. Um, so the person that I was going to talk about for now um, is uh, Ian Desmond. So um, I brought up, uh, I, I forget what I was watching. I think it was a Jolly Ala video or something like that. Um, shout was, out Jolly. Yeah, shout out to Jolly. I love, love Jolly Ala's YouTube. Um, and it was one of those things where it was like literally just a video of Remember Some Guys. And um, Ian Desmond uh, kind of jumped out to me because there was a lot of uh, controversy, controversy, uh, controversy with uh, Ian Desmond in my fantasy baseball league um, when he got hurt. And uh, there was something about a keeper. I even forget. But one of the one of my best friends left the league because of Ian Desmond, which is just such a hilarious thing to leave a league for. Um, I think he, <laughs> he actually kept Ian Desmond at like a really high level um uh really high pick and then ian desmond fell off the face of the earth um and then he never wanted to play again because he didn't want to have ian desmond on his team for the next three years so that's all fun uh love love you uh buddy i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say names here even though um i don't know that they listen and i know that the other two friends that do listen to this will know exactly what i'm talking about um so anyways on to ian desmond um Two all-star appearances, uh, but the years that, you know, he was playing all-star caliber level 
you know, 25 homers, um, batting 292. So he was just that kind of picturesque um, 2020 player. He had 21 stolen bases that year with the high batting average. Um, and then they decided to put him in center field, you know, in Colorado. I don't really know why. I think in Texas they started this center field experiment with him. Um, and then in Colorado it continued, and they paid all this money to um, have him play center field in Colorado, and he just never panned out out there. Um, so it's just a just a funny thing to remember. Um, someone that was playing played really good baseball made a position switch and then never recovered from that position switch. Well, not only that, they also got him to play first base. I believe that he initially I, I forget which way it was. It it was one or the other that he was like signed to play. Regardless, he was signed to play a position that he does not play. Um, it, but this in Colorado was also the first time that they tried to, I believe, play him at first. Um, yeah, and the thing was, he and, wasn't like the best shortstop, but he was like fine. You know, like he could do it. You know, yeah, so. and he he just wasn't the kind of player that you you pay a big sum of money to play first. Uh, you know, first base for like you said, a good player, but that you know that that skill set and that kind of offensive productivity doesn't bode well to being a bad defensive first baseman, which I'm sure he was. I'm not going to go too deep into his stats, but I'm sure he was not good <laughs> at playing first base yeah. in his short time there. Um, but yeah, that that is a that is a pretty good pick. I always get him, uh, and this may be spoiling a future pick down the line. I always get him and Danny Espinosa mixed yeah. up. That was um, the middle of the infield for those Nationals there. Yeah, and then Danny Espinosa, the one thing that I always remember about him is he would grow a really big beard for his picture day and then shave it. I, I believe I'm remembering that correctly, that he was the player that would do that. And yeah. I always thought that, that was really funny. It reminds me of, uh, I don't want to think about Jimmy Butler right now, but Jimmy Butler getting the hair extensions for picture day and media day and then just not wearing them for the rest of the season. <laughs> I thought that that was really funny. Um my remember some guy uh is a player that i have never seen a single inning of a single pitch from actually i just saw a pitch from him today during this podcast while i googled the video from it as i mentioned i am in a very uh heavy legend of zelda mood so i looked up to see if there were any players named link and the closest thing i got was john link uh a pitcher who pitched a grand total of nine games for the 2010 dodgers 8.2 innings uh, of 4.15 ERA ball. Um, <laughs> the fascinating thing about this guy is that there's not a lot of uh, footage of John Link playing. I looked up John Link baseball highlights. Well, first, I looked up just John Link. Uh, and the first thing that came up was uh, a re-upload of the Game Grumps uh, Legend of Zelda Link to the Past playthrough. Which I guess makes sense because one of the former members of the Game Grumps was a was a man named John, uh, and they did play a game titled Link to the Past. So <laughs> that is the only thing that comes up. The other thing that comes up is a video titled "Ex Big Leaguer John Link." I did not watch this, but it looks like he's giving hitting instructions. Funny, given that he was a major league pitcher. Um, and then I decided to try to narrow it down and look up John Link baseball highlights. Um, the first thing that I got um, is him fanning his 12th batter of the game 
and it's a minor league baseball highlight of him on the Jacksonville Suns. It is literally one pitch. Uh, it looks like a bit of a high, maybe a cutter uh, to a batter in the sixth inning for his 12th strikeout of the game, which, I mean, hey, 12 strikeouts with one out in the sixth inning, pretty impressive. But uh, there is another video here of him throwing a bullpen. It just looks like uh, he's on the Charlotte Knights at this point. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to see if there, I tried looking up if there were any players with Zelda in their name at all. Nothing came up. So I had to settle for the next best thing and, and try to find somebody named Link. And there is my pick, John Link. Other shout outs, uh, go to Ed Linky. Um, oh, there was a player with the first name Link. I'm sorry. Screw you, John Link. Uh, my player to remember is Link Wassum, <laughs> who, let's see. For the 1937 Boston Bees, played in two games, had one plate appearance, and uh, to my knowledge, did not record a hit. But his first name was Link. Wow. Um, I was going to say that uh, I think that John Link um, it became a hitting coach because his uh, hit through nine, at least in that nine-game stretch, um in in uh la was 12.5 so that's not great um and then even if you just look at his minor league numbers we're looking at 10 10 7 7 8 9 8 8 8 7 12 so um like really like to give up hits so maybe that's kind of where his uh thing was where he was like i've seen a lot of people hit me hard this is how you do it (laughs) well well that's the one thing is that when you always talk about like hitting and pitching coaches they're always the people that weren't great at it during their time uh you know mike maddox is the famous pitching coach it's not greg um and i always believed that it was because so many people were telling you how to pitch that you just ingrained all of that knowledge of like different mechanical tweaks and things to do um uh, just looking really quickly through john link's wikipedia page he is the first player and i would assume the only player to have played for Bluefield College. Um, it most recently played for the Wichita Wingnuts in 2016. Um, was a 2007, uh, sorry, a 2008 Southern League All-Star. Um, so yeah, there, there's my guy, my, my good old buddy, John Link. Now I want a John Link Dodgers jersey. What number did he, what number did he wear? I don't even know if you'll be able to find out what number he wore. 50. I guess that's fair. It probably is pretty easy to find out what number you want. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's that's my guy. Shout out, Link. The Oops. hero of time. All right, Chris, do you want to get out of here? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking up. Oh, one second. Rams alumni. Because I don't know when this is a thing for you to post your Rams alumni. <laughs> so I wanted to see who is a Rams alumni and see if he popped up. But uh, Oh, sorry. Rams is the uh, blue field. <laughs> I thought you were talking. I thought you were talking about your school. No, yeah, I, did, I did have the Rams uh, there. There were there were three, there were three other drafted players from Bluefield College: uh, Karan Walker in 1999, Kurt Goodson in 1991, and Brian Janitolo from 1988. Storied university. So, shout yeah. out Bluefield College Rams. Yeah, let's get out. All right. Any parting thoughts? Uh, just don't Google uh, Cockery children, children of the forest, because 
you will uh it's a sad story i mean you already told us about it there's more (laughs) there's probably you know there's probably like a three and a half hour uh youtube video about it that i've watched at some point in my life easy (laughs) all right well uh give us five stars like and share the podcast um wherever you listen i hope you stick around for next week when i give you another update on the shrines i've gotten the towers i've opened who knows if i'll have done another main story mission by the time we play next probably not because i am addicted to just getting shrines and opening up towers in the legend of zelda i could just i could close the game open up a new save and then just do that in perpetuity um but yeah hope you guys enjoyed and we hope you guys continue to tune in peace out everyone